welcome back to this next episode of the Global Growth Leaders Podcast. I'm Simon Haig, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by my co-host, Henry Wang. Henry, good to see you again. Hello, hi. <laughs> so we have another special episode today because I don't need to ask any questions. Henry is going to be asking all the questions. So I'm looking forward to relaxing and just answering. Over to you, Henry. <laughs> Thank you, Simon, and uh, welcome, Sean, and I'll be very glad to ask all the questions. We've got a very exciting series today on negotiations, and I, I'm very, very glad to be sitting here together with Simon and Sean, who are very, very famous globally on negotiation and speaking. So, overcoming COVID has incurred unprecedented human and economic costs globally. Unlike prior economic crisis, which has been normally caused by financial bubbles or monetary uh, policy problems, this is a global health pandemic, which has serious negative economic side effects and also interruption to the global supply chain. Experts have warned that this isn't just a temporary hiccup, but a serious wake-up call to the world for something more serious. These, there are some countries who are pushing for fast recovery and build back to return to business as usual with some quick fixes. However, there are also strong drive from various global leaders with longer-term visions to build back better with sustainable improvements. A good example is the recent call by the United Nations World Economic Forum and the G20 and B20 on building back better post-COVID with international collaborations. Thank you, Henry. So geopolitically, this crisis has, from a medical research perspective, at least underlined the huge value of global collaboration. We're witnessing the development and adaptation of life-saving technologies and massive research into treatments. We're experiencing perhaps not seen before, certainly since the AIDS crisis of the 1980s, sharing of scientific journals, genome sequencing data, and clinical trials, bringing together thousands of scientists, medics, companies, and researchers globally. To facilitate greater international collaboration and understanding, Henry and I are conducting a series of global podcasts with distinguished international thought leaders from both the East and the West. And these thought leaders will be discussing key topical issues, including healthcare, youth, innovation, climate change, media, leadership culture, and today, negotiation uh, and speaking. We hope that these open exchanges of views with international thought leaders from both the East and the West should help foster greater international understanding and cooperation. And we're delighted that all episodes will be featured on all leading podcast channels, YouTube, social media, and more. Great. Thank you, Simon. Well, I'd like to welcome again both Sean and Simon. I'm really very honored to be here together with the two of them because both of them are very well known international speakers, negotiators, and trainers. So first of all, with Sean, it is wonderful that you are a famous public speaker, trainer, and negotiator in Hong Kong. Maybe you can give, a view and give us an overview of your impressive career, because I'm sure our listeners globally are very interested in that. Sean? 
First of all, nice meeting you, Henry and Simon. It's a great pleasure, and I'm thrilled to be part of this very meaningful and important program. And I'm sure that uh, uh, by sharing the force, just like what you mentioned, over the East and West, uh, there can be more coll collaborations. And also, together, we can solve the problems that we encounter. There's a saying that uh, the solutions are always in a much bigger domain than the problems itself. So uh, this is something I look forward much as well. Now talking about public speaking, um, in fact, I have uh, confessions to make and uh, stories to tell and uh, jokes to share as well. Uh, the, I guess the first one is back before I joined Toastmasters or what led me to Toastmasters, the, the global organization on leadership and public speaking training. Now that counts more or less the year that I was awarded the 10 outstanding young persons in Hong Kong. Then I found that just like most of you, that when you were awarded with something, people start inviting you to events, to luncheons, to dinner talks, to share your point of view. Now, I, I'm not dumb, so I, I can speak. Sean can speak uh, one speech. <laughs> that my that my candid speech at that time, he had only one speech. So over 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 a couple of months, I found that, okay, maybe I, I should develop myself a little bit further. And on a very coincidence, my friend invited me to a Toastmasters club where he was the president and there was an inauguration ceremony. So yeah, I, I know how inauguration ceremony works. Basically, I was there and uh, just uh, clap hands. So that evening after I came, I found that, wow, the speakers of that Toastmasters club seemed quite well. So I approached my friend and asked him, okay, can I join the club? And uh, can I also practice my speech? Now, he was so generous and told me that, Sean, of course, you come again next week. So I came next week to find out that that was her. It's actually the club's humorous speech context. And <laughs> I was there to introduce myself. Now, arrogant as I was, I found mm, my speech was not bad. Okay, price move. Uh, should, should at least get a price. The only one flaw, only one flaw. Uh, nobody laughed. Uh, that was a humorous speech context. Now, of course, I did not win, uh, but that was kind of like a wake-up call for me that, okay, maybe I should be more humble and learn all over again. Now, that was how I became a member of the Toastmasters, and uh, four years later, I won the champion in China. Wow, that's really impressive, and, and congratulations, uh, Sean, <laughs> on being the national speech champion of China, and, and the program quality director of Toastmaster in the whole of the South China region. I mean, these, these are really impressive uh, achievements. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about your current activities in both speech making, public speaking and negotiations? Yes, Henry. Of course, these are achievements in itself, but to me, this is more about my progress in the entire realm of uh, public speaking and communications. Communications is a big thing. And I'm sure that uh, many, many people may agree with the, of the sentence that uh, the world needs more communications, collaborations, and talks than ever. So uh, with these trophies I put in my living room and always remind myself that communication is a key to many confrontations, and the key to many global problems and a key to many like uh, human frictions and tensions. So these are what remind me. So uh, 
uh, that's why I, I keep serving in uh, Toastmasters. And uh, this year, just like what you mentioned, Henry, that I, I am the program quality directors. So my, my job or my role or my contribution is to help other Toastmasters clubs. Uh, we have a, a club is the, the basic unit of Toastmasters worldwide. We have uh, over 13,000 worldwide. So my, my job or my contribution is to, uh, to help them, to support them and to have fun with them so that uh, everyone who would like to improve whether it's leadership or public speaking or, or together will have the best experience and has the, the, the best that he can receive. That's, that's very impressive, Sean. And uh, congratulations on all your good work. I mean, we previously had Wilson also uh, came on one of the early podcasts and he shared with us the, the growth of uh, Toastmasters in South China regions, I think over 500 different clubs. So congratulations. Yes, well, Wilson is a good friend and uh, yeah, he is the current district director. And uh, back a few years ago, uh, we were together on the stage competing at speech contests as well. <laughs> <laughs> so friends and competitor, that's, I like that. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> so next up, uh, Simon, you are, you've, you are world famous. Uh, Simon, on the speaker, negotiator, trainer, you've written uh, several books on deal making, and you've run many courses in the island and around the world on negotiation, sales, leadership, and business growth. I mean, that's that's very impressive, and I really enjoy working with you over the years, and also on this uh, global leaders podcast. Maybe you can share with us uh, uh, an overview quickly, uh, Simon, of your career, because I'm sure our listeners will be very interested. Well, thank I'm you. Interested as well. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks, Henry. And it's great to see you, Sean. And uh, it, you make it sound like my career was planned, but a lot of this has just happened to me over the years, you know, and uh, I've just followed my nose and taken one step. But I think I could divide my career into three parts. The first 13 years, I was a commercial lawyer over here in UK, Ireland, and in Australia, mainly doing technology deals, putting together large technology deals for companies like Ericsson and Nokia and Siemens and et cetera. Um, and then the second seven years, I moved from pure law. I, I decided that law wasn't for me and that I would do an MBA. And I became, at the end of the day, a CEO for an American company in Australia. So I had seven years as a C-suite executive and I saw how deals are put together, how deals are not put together. And it really, it's all about people, you know, negotiation skills and awareness and, and resilience and situational awareness. And then the last seven years, as you know, Henry, I've spent most of my time working for myself as a coach, consultant, trainer. I've written three books on deal-making, contract law. There's a couple more books coming. And um, I'm kind of following Sean a little bit now in the last couple of years into speaking. I'm doing a bit of radio work, podcasts. I'm doing a keynote speak in a couple of, speech in a couple of weeks in the UK on new business for the future generation. So I'm realizing that I used to think I was very good behind the desk and hidden, but I actually now like getting in front of crowds. So and I guess that most of my work today is about helping leaders and businesses grow through the prism of business growth, leadership growth, brand growth, and mindset growth. So that's just a little bit about me. Wow, that's impressive. And, and I know working with you, you are so full of energy. And then 
you, you, you really plan and organize your work very well because you are involved in many, many different things. And uh, also really, you know, you are recognized globally and, and well done on being featured in the top 100 negotiators globally for your work on mindful negotiation. I mean, that, that's really interesting. Could you share with us what is mindful negotiation? Well, yes, it sounds, it sounds very highfalutin, but really it's common sense. It's how we, you know, we're living at a very sensitive age, particularly this year. You know, this year is a circuit breaker year for humankind. And, um, you know, I think the old cynical ways of stamping the table and hardcore selling, I think we have kind of, we're seeing beyond that. It's much more about relationships and it's about emotional connection. I think that generally is the case across nearly all cultures. And so, you know, the old, the old attributes of negotiation, self-assessment, self situational assessment, and assessing, you know, the other side, they still remain. All the old principles remain. But when I talk about mindful negotiation, I'm just saying that I think we just need to be a little bit more mindful of the human interaction going forward. And so self and situational awareness, you know, how are you coming across? What about indirect, what about indirect um, uh, verbal communication? I, is what you're saying really being perceived by the other person in the way you intend it? Just, just be very mindful of the effect that you're having on others. Cultural astuteness as well is very important. We're living, particularly because we're all online, you know, I think Elizabeth Lee was saying the other day, if anything, globalization is just going to accelerate because we're all online. So you need to be culturally astute, emotionally intelligent. And I think finally, mindful negotiation for me is about empathetic listening. It's about questioning. It's a bit like the Guangxi in China. It's about building trust by listening, questioning, using silence appropriately and, and, and forming a relationship over time and watching yourself in that space. That's what I mean. Ah, that's, I think that is very important. I, I have similar experience to you in the sort of years of negotiation work I've done in Asia and, and globally. And uh, most of these were on negotiating big uh, corporate contracts and things like that. But I really understand and, and agree with you that it's very important to understand your negotiation partner and uh, respect their views as well, so that you can come to a win-win agreement. And, and very interesting, Simon, you... Sorry. Can I also jump in and chip in And in fact, over the years, I, I am uh, usually invited to talk, apart from uh, leadership topics, uh, public speaking topics, uh, negotiation is uh, the, the other key areas that I am I'm talking about, and I can agree more with Simon that uh, this is exactly what we are looking for. And uh, in most of the cases, when I ask the audience about negotiation, what do they think about negotiations? Most of them come with uh, replies that uh, is about persuasion, is about, about overpowering others, and uh, which by the end of those sections, usually they have aha moments that listening mm. is actually the key. And yeah. listening is actually the first step. And I usually share as a negotiator, I, I strive to talk 20% of time and listen 80% of time. Exactly. That's, I agree totally with that. That is something I, I've uh, learned first thing 
as a negotiator, particularly negotiating with senior government officers. And I found that it's very important to, to listen to every word they say and to read between the lines as well. Yeah. And I have a disclaimer when I, uh, and I'm going to ask Simon as well. I have a disclaimer when I'm conducting the training on negotiations that, uh, that there's a house rule, the first rule, the 101. Uh, never negotiate with your wife. <laughs> well, Simon, you must comment on this. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. You're, you're, you're never going to win. And uh, no matter how hard she listens, she's not going to hear you. So, so, don't, yeah. so don't try it. <laughs> yeah, I remember I watched on uh, social media that uh, a husband just won a negotiation with his wife and he was like proudly sitting and then this zoom out and it was a sofa on a doghouse. <laughs> Actually had to slap in that night. <laughs> well, talking about wives, I know that uh, Simon, you've also recently done some very uh, interesting work on gender balance for better negotiation success. And, and uh, based on the very interesting serious uh, discussion we just had, I think uh, we'll be also very interested to, to hear about what advice you have on gender balance and, and how we can use that in, in negotiations. No, uh, thank you. And I agree with Sean, it's, uh, you know, listening is key. And I think that kind of applies to the whole area of gender balance. So what I'm talking about with gender balance, I'm not talking about diversity. I'm not talking about positive discrimination programs. I'm not even talking about men and women. I'm talking about the masculine traits and the feminine traits that we all have. The three of us, we have masculine traits and we also have feminine traits. So the masculine traits are, as we know, more ego driven. They're more about outcomes. They're more about results. They're more about win-win. But the feminine traits in all of us are more about empathy and listening and the process. We know that wives, women say they're better at listening and they're better at empathy. And I think there is something proven in that. You know, the, the feminine tends to be have a more closely attuned ability around emotional intelligence. So that's what I'm talking about. And I wrote an article a couple of years ago called Gender Balance for Better Business. And I did a lot of research and um, what came out of it was that those organizations um, who have as close to a gender balance as possible tend to demonstrate more sustainable negotiation outcomes. And it, the same applies in the military space. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of studies that where military deals are uh, concluded, you know, when there are peace deals concluded and women are involved in concluding those peace deals, they tend to be more longer lasting. So. Um, so I think organizations need to be a lot more mindful about, about the importance of this and don't treat this as, you know, a fad or a phase or just a tick box. Look at this as a core strategic imperative. And that's really what I'm talking about. Wow, that's important. I think that is going to be, as we go ahead and in, in the recovery from COVID, I think uh, inclusiveness, and gender balance is going to be very, very important as we all emerges, emerges from working from home to going back into society and uh, the office again. Exactly. 
Coming to you, Sean, I, I know you, you, you're very famous on the, your negotiation work and public speaking work in, in Hong Kong, China, and Asia. I think that's global interest from our listeners from all different parts of the world. What, what do you think would be the sort of top characteristics of public speaking and negotiation in the Asia and China and Hong Kong regions? Yes, thanks, Henry. In fact, I would like to follow up on what Simon just mentioned about talking about the, the trace, the process. And in fact, there are statistics showing that the when we talk about one, one of the usage of negotiation is for suicide intervention. And the stat and the stat told us that, in fact, regarding gender, the the masculine gender, that means the man, had a, a, a slightly higher number in terms of those uh, suicidal cases. And uh, one of the uh, possible cause or the reason is that when men suffer from depression or some uh, emotional tensions, uh, problems that they can solve, they used to just uh, help within themselves. And even when guys ask guys to come out, uh, they resort to alcohols and footballs. Whereas the, the feminine uh, gender or women, they are more likely to be open to themselves, uh, share the problems, express the emotions. So expressing our emotion is one thing, uh, listening is another thing, and also have the real courage to be able to be vulnerable. I, I, I enjoy using this term. To be vulnerable, that means it's okay to be not okay. It's perhaps one of the big thing, whether this is relationship between people, between couples or organization or even countries. Wow. No, that's a very important point. I know that, uh, well, men, we are taught up not to cry and things like that. And, you know, the ladies, they always have a nice cuddle and cry on each other's shoulders. I, I think that's very interesting. Simon, do you want to make any comment on that? And also, what, what do you think are the sort of top skills in, in negotiation and public speaking you've been uh, involved in? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree completely with Sean. And, you know, I do a fair bit of work in the wellness space myself. And, um, you know, there are certain cultures, I think, where masculinity is much more like you're saying, Sean. I think, you know, Ireland would be one or Australia would be another one where uh, you're expected to be a man. You know, it's about football. It's about beer and you can't show your emotions. And but I do think it's changing. I think the younger generations, it's interesting. I wrote another article um, and I called it Generation Entrepreneur. And it's it's my term for generate the millennials, Generation Y and Z. Um, and, and I wanted to see whether the younger generations um, had more of the attributes of good negotiators than the older people. And apart from the fact that they're on their mobile phones too much, which is not a good thing, right? Apart from that, they do generally demonstrate more of the good um, characteristics of good negotiators and deal makers. They tend to be more open-minded. They tend to be more tolerant. They tend to be more empathetic. Um, and I think my hope is that that will demonstrate itself in the, you know, in resolving some of the issues in the world today. So I'm, I'm actually very hopeful that the younger generation, uh, you know, will really, really rise to the occasion. I, I suppose back to your more direct question, Henry, about 
you know, skill sets for in terms of multi-jurisdictional negotiation, I think, I think number one would be cultural astuteness. You know, I, I've worked, I've worked, lived in five countries and I've, I've spent time doing business in China and America and Central Europe and the Middle East and Australia. And, and in this increasingly interconnected world, particularly online, I think it's so important, number one, to try and find out about each other's cultures. You know, that's number one. Number two, I do think we have to respect differences. We are different. We're all different. And we need to earn trust. That's number three. I think number four, we do need to be aware, all of us, interculturally, as to how others may perceive us, right? Because stereotypes do exist. Um, and then number th the last thing then is having that inherent knowledge. I think we, it's incumbent on all of us because it's a small interconnected world we need to find ways to bridge cultural gaps. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you think about it, you know, this is a tiny planet in a huge universe. And for some reason, humankind has said, we're going we're gonna to demarcate into 200 different countries when really it's only one humankind, right? It's only one humankind. So I think given that we're now moving away from countries to being all of us online, I think it's incumbent on us to all bridge cultural gaps. I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> no, that passion comes through very well, Simon. And, and I can feel that you are passionate about this. And I actually also very much agree with what you say there, based on the, 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 the 20 odd years of work I've done on negotiation. Sean, I think, do you want to add anything to that very important yes. point? And also, yes, can share? Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to chip in. <laughs> you know what? Tell you another joke now. Um, um, being so in Hong Kong, of course, our, cult our cultural difference with the mainland China uh, has a little bit. In, in particular, of the kind of relationship, or there's a Chinese term called guanxi, right? It's a very special term for relationship. So uh, when I'm taking up the program quality director for District here covering the South China, I actually made some psychological and the physical preparation to engage in, uh, in the mainland with our mainland Chinese counterpart. Do you know what? It's by training up my uh, alcohol capability. Yeah, I heard that like, when you have a build relationship with China, you need to drink. <laughs> but I guess that's true uh, some 30 or 40 years ago. <laughs> so of the, of the uh, uh, past one or two years, uh, I, I never had a drink uh, with my counterparts in mainland China. I, I was so disappointed of my training. <laughs> but that also reminded me of something, Della. Now, uh, remember, when, when guys are having talks, business talk or uh, sharing whatever over the dinner table, and they keep on drinking, keep on drinking, eventually, now, we know that when we are drunk, we are more relaxed. And just like the term that I mentioned, we are more vulnerable. We are more vulnerable about myself, about the problems I'm encountering, uh, family's issues, personal issues. We are more open to share what we have. And that's how the report, that's how the guanxi, or that's how the relationship was built up. Uh, that's why people have to, have to get drunk before closing the deal. Uh, but these days, just like what Simon mentioned about, we are more, we are more vulnerable um, by training or by brought up, in fact, uh, I, I also remember that uh, at our Toastmasters club meeting because uh, we are so open. Uh, we don't, do not talk about our uh, career pressure. Uh, we, we, and there are some topics that we don't, we don't talk in, 
Toastmasters, in particular, politics, uh, religions, and uh, uh, something more explicit on sex. And so we, we have much to share about ourselves and we can become vulnerable. We can talk about issues we not normally spoke to our bosses or our bosses at home. And in a way that we can build relationship by practicing this kind of skill, be open, be able to express emotionally. And sometimes when it's safe to do so, be, be vulnerable as well. That's very important advice. I had similar experience when I was negotiating in Asia, in China, and also in Japan, where you know you have to. In, I mean, this is talking like exactly like you say, ten years, twenty years ago, when when to show commitment to your partner, you have to drink, and being drunk together is is certainly part of the ritual. But I'm glad that is uh, no longer. Uh, things have to move on, and uh, like you say, it's no longer the case. But I, I coming to a very important final question to you both, and, and really with both your sort of uh, wealth of experience of negotiating and public speaking in the East and West, how would you like to suggest that uh, the East and West could collaborate better? you know, can have more international cooperations and collaborations. Maybe, maybe Sean, you can go first and then Simon can, can follow. I would say just like what uh, the entire central frame of tonight, the key is not about persuasion. The key is not about overpowering. The key is about listening. So uh, we, we, had a, we had a saying in negotiations or when we have a, and when we have conflict arguments, uh, the key is never be the last one to talk. Now think about this. The key is never be the last one to talk. Now, if both sides practice this, uh, there's actually no arguments. Yeah. <laughs> that is very important advice, actually. And, and it takes a lot to sink in. I'm now thinking very carefully about that. <laughs> Simon, do you want to make any comment? I, I, I agree completely with that. And it's about the, sets, the self and the situational awareness. And I think I would add, it would be great if we could have more of this kind of conversations online, you know, um, because I, I think there are a lot of perceptions that, you know, people in China negotiate are very different to people in the States, and therefore it's, it's almost impossible to negotiate. But I think what we're demonstrating is that it really is about the human skills and of, of awareness and listening and using silence appropriately and humility and vulnerability. And, and, and I think three things I think we need to be mindful of when we negotiate interculturally. And that's number one is decision-making processes are made differently. So in in, in more indirect cultures, so Japan would be a good example of an indirect communication culture, there's more consult consensus, there's less on-the-spot decision-making, probably similar-ish in China, whereas in Anglo-American cultures, it tends to be more um, one person makes the decision. So decision, so just be mindful of the differences. Number two is, I've noticed also there are different dynamics in meetings. So in, in more Asian cultures, and I've done business in Shenzhen and Wuhan, uh, when you come to a meeting, you know, I would go to a meeting and there'd be one, one of me, maybe one, two others. And then on the Chinese side, there would be 10 people, right? And, and everybody would be thoughtful and calm. And 
there would be a kind of a quiet strength from the Chinese side. There would be very limited emotion in the meeting. Maybe the night before in the bar would be different. So, <laughs> so there's decision-making, there's meetings dynamic, and then communication. Just be aware that, that we do communicate differently. We do. I mean, indirect cultures are less likely to say no. Direct cultures, Australia would be very direct. Australians would say no very quickly, whereas in China or Japan, you'd be less likely to hear no, right? So just be mindful of those differences, but overriding all that, as Sean said, it comes down to listening, vulnerability, and being a decent human being. That's what I would finish with. That's very, very good advice, I think, from, from your years of uh, experience. Sean, do you want to make any final addition to that? <laughs> yes, um, I would like to contribute for, for words. The first is listen. The second, be open, uh, be vulnerable, and uh, uh, care of the emotions. And together is uh, listen, open, vulnerable emotions. That's love. Love. <laughs> That's very, very good for words. L-O-V-E, yeah. That's also a new management uh, development, uh, I think, from... Simon and I, we have a mutual friend who, who yes. is saying that bring love back into management. I just, wrote, I just wrote that down, Sean. I think that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 that's been a really wonderful uh, discussion with you both, Sean and Simon. I, and I'm really honored to be in the presence of two very famous public speakers and negotiators in the West and the East. And I think uh, we, we tonight had talked about some really deep and insightful comments with really practical advice from our future leaders that can be used. I, I, I will always remember, I have to use love in my negotiations. <laughs> and that, that is uh, certainly a very important, but also like, uh, Simon and say we have to think about gender balance, we have to think about mindful negotiations. I think these are really, really good advice and I will encourage all our readers to and listeners to, to listen to this podcast at least 10 times over so you can really understand what these two really impressive uh, public speaker and negotiators are sharing some of the best experience uh, and advice they can have. And certainly you won't get it from an MBA course. Yeah, it is invaluable advice. So thank you very much to you both, Sean and Simon. That, that's been a wonderful podcast. I really enjoyed it too, and thanks, Sean. And I normally cut. We normally have. We normally cut a one or two minute clip of this to put out of advance. So I'm going to make sure I get one of your jokes in that when it goes out. So. <laughs> a lot. Plenty. Thank you. <laughs> thank you yeah. both. It was wonderful. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Sean. Bye. Bye. Bye.